You're listening to the Meeting Midway podcast, a podcast of Midway United Methodist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, featuring Pastor Jenny Andoni and Pastor Brad Biggerstaff. Over the course of the podcast, we'll hear how the church relates to the real-world issues that matter to you and how God loves us all. And now, let's meet Midway. Midway family, it's so great to see you on this Sunday morning. Uh, We're grateful for your presence here each and every week as we continue to worship as a church family online. We've returned back to pre-recorded videos for the next few weeks as we are still in the process of having our professional stream set up, live streaming set up within our sanctuary. 
Uh, that'll hopefully be done by August and we'll return to streaming from our sanctuary space at that time. Also, if you didn't already know, uh, be in prayer for Pastor Ginny as she's traveling with Herzen and they are taking a, a short break and vacation. Uh, she won't be with us this Sunday or next Sunday. Uh, so be in prayer for her and Herzen and her family. Today, we're grateful for you being here with us. We're grateful that we can all gather and worship the Lord our God, even in the midst of these challenging times. Let us now come and worship God. If 
My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Father God, thank you for today. Um, thank you for giving us this worship music that reminds us that you are our only hope, Lord. Uh, that without you and your son's sacrifice and the spirit building us together, Lord, we, we don't have a hope. And uh, thank you that we are constantly reminded of that. Lord, I ask that you continue to do that throughout the week. Convict us that we turn to you. We turn to you and we turn our heart to you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
what is true. Speak what is true. And now we come before God in prayer. Father, we are thankful for this morning where we can freely worship you. Thank you for a community and a church that surpasses the boundaries of a building. God, not a moment of these days is outside of your greater plan. We ask for your wisdom for our nation, state, and county leaders, your strength for the first responders and educators, your provision for our families heading into the second half of this year, your comfort for those who have lost loved ones, and your peace that passes understanding for the days to come. God, give us a vision of your presence in the midst of any challenges that we face. Give us courage and confidence that you are with us, calling us to be your loving people in the world. Your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And Lord, we surrender our thoughts, actions, and plan to your will. Direct our steps toward actions that will produce growth and peace. Guide our steps and guard our lives. We pray all of these things together this morning through the prayer that your son taught us as we pray together. Our Father, who, heart, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning we are continuing in our series in the book of Genesis. And today we have the story, the story where Israel all begins. The story of the birth of Jacob and Esau. Hear the word of God coming from Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. These are the descendants of Abraham, or Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Amram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. And his wife, Rebekah, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is okay to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire to the Lord. And the Lord said to her, There are two nations in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. When her time of birth came, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand was gripping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was quiet and living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff 
For I am famished. Therefore he was called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me first your birthright. And Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And Esau ate and drank. And he rose up and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 44 years ago, and in fact, one week earlier from today, one of the most iconic television shows in all of history first aired. Maybe you can guess it now. It's actually still going on. It's 19 seasons later. There were some breaks in between. Six different hosts of the show, but yet the same great format. Maybe you've guessed it now. But if you haven't guessed it yet, it is one of the greatest game shows of all time. Today in Pastor Brad's sermon, we have two brothers going head to head. Laying it all down on the line. Who gets to be the firstborn? Who gets to have the birthright? Who becomes the one to be the ancestor of the big man himself? Jesus! And here's your host of the sermon, Brad Biggerstaff. Thanks for indulging me in a bit of fun for this sermon. I've been grappling with this text and thinking of creative ways to dive into it. But really, the concept, the idea, the show itself, Family Feud, is a great place to start for this text. Because our text is very much like the intensity that you find in a Family Feud episode. There are two people in our text that feud from birth. And as we will talk about today, they will feud their whole life. And there's a whole lot at stake in this feud. Today, in fact, we have some moments where Jacob and Answer, in the midst of their feud, like in the game show, provide some interesting answers. Well, to set the stage for this family feud, we must start with what has brought us to this moment. Our text says, These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire to the Lord, and the Lord said, There will be two nations in your room, and these two people born of you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the elder 
shall serve the younger. Here, this kind of part one of the text sets the stage for the feud. For our text says, the children were struggling together within Rebekah. The author of this story in Genesis starts here. We have yet to know what the names of these children are. Because the author is taking a moment to foreshadow the life that they will live before they are even born. And God gives us all the great detail to these two children in Rebecca's womb. They will be divided. Their descendants, their families will be divided. They will feud. One will be stronger and the elder shall serve the younger. Here, again, the writer of this text lets us know something from the get-go. A family feud is coming. Then our text goes on to give detail about these two infants. Some understanding and background for the feud that is being set up. Our text says, when her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, and all of his body was hairy, so they called him Esau. But afterward, his brother came out, his hand gripping Esau's heel, and he was named Isaac. We already have a feud at birth. Not only does this text tell us that there were two, not only does this text in part one tell us that there are two children feuding in Rebecca's womb, but here in part two, they are telling us that they were jostling at birth for who would be the firstborn. We see it when Jacob is born second to Esau, but yet still wrestling, grappling with Esau as he's born. Esau's born with powerful qualities, hairy and red, powerful distinctions. Not only is he given the gift of being the firstborn, which in ancient Jewish culture meant everything within a family unit, but he had powerful distinctions even in the way that he looked. And then we have Jacob. Jacob who comes second in this first feud. The first Family feud, so to speak. The feud of who is born first. Now, the second family feud comes in this sort of part three of sorts. We learn about these two boys after birth growing up. Becoming men, who they are, and we learn something else too. Verse 27 and 28 say, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. While Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. I dare say today that our text shows us in this moment our second feud. Parents are playing favorites. Some of you might know what that's like from a receiving end, or maybe you yourself have played favorites with children. There's been a lot of recent scholarship looking at this text, bringing in modern psychological studies to kind of give insight about Jacob 
and Esau. Because parental favoritism is not something that's all that helpful. In an article from Psychology Today entitled, When Parents Play Favorites, in this article it says, This favoritism can manifest in different ways. More time spent with one child, more affection given, more privileges, less discipline, or maybe even less abuse. The article then goes on to say, Unfortunately, the consequences of parental favoritism are what you might expect. They are mostly bad. Disfavored children experience worse outcomes across the board. More depression, greater aggressiveness, lower self-esteem, and poor academic performance. These repercussions are far more extreme than any benefits the favored child get out of it. Negative things have a stronger impact on people than positive things. But it's not all that rosy for the favored child either. Their siblings often come to resent them, poisoning their relationships. Poisoning their relationships. In this third part of our text of sorts, parental favoritism is the second family feud. And it really sets us up for what has been poisoned between Jacob and Esau. Lastly, we have a part four, a little vignette in our text where the feud comes to a climax within what we have read today. The stage has finally been set. Jacob and Esau had been feuding in the womb, at birth, and even in their childhood. Esau was the hunter, the firstborn, the rugged man that his father was proud of. And Jacob was cunning, quiet, a sweet man that dwelled in tents that his mother was proud of. And all of this comes together at a moment where Jacob in his guile turns the tables of the feud. Our text says, once Jacob was cooking a stew, and Esau came from the field and he was famished, Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Jacob said, But first sell me your birthright. And Esau said, I'm about to die, so what use is this birthright? Jacob made him swear to it. So Esau swore and sold his birthright to Jacob. And the Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. And there Esau despised his birthright. First of all, I probably should say that this little vignette in scripture isn't really one of my favorites. It's kind of painful to read a little bit. Jacob is a bit snaky in his cunning action. Kind of a jerk to his older brother, swindling him out of an inheritance. He coaxes his brother to give up his birthright, which would have been a massive inheritance, and not to mention the line of ancestry that Jesus would have been born into. But also this story kind of stinks because Esau, in this feud of sorts, is dumb enough to follow through with it. He first gives his birthright away for lentil stew, which, by the way, has to be one of the worst soups in the soup aisle. 
But not only that, he gives it away almost as if he doesn't know how important his birthright is. It's like that fast money round at the end of Family Feud, where people have a limited time to make a really important decision, an important guess. And then they hear what the survey says. And if you've seen the show, you see people sometimes make stupid choices, have dumb answers, kind of like the dumb answer we just saw from Esau. I got good news and bad news. <clears throat> Give me the bad news first. The bad news is you need 172 points to win the money. Oh. The good news is you're the man to do it. I'm going to ask you the same questions I asked the other Bob. You cannot and you do not want to duplicate his answers. If you do, you hear this. What noise do we hear? Thank you. I will then say try again. You'll give me another answer, all right? Remind everyone to Bob's shame the answers he gave us. and Give me 20 seconds on the clock, please. Name an animal with three letters in its name. Alligator. Something found in a refrigerator. Milk. Try again. Uh, ice. A brand of gasoline. Ethyl. Something that comes with a summer storm. Uh, rain. A sport with an all-star game. Football. Football, you've got to give him that. I can't, I can't stand any, oh. any man that says alligator, you've got to give him. Oh. Name an animal with three letters in its name. You said alligator. Our survey said... Alligator as a three-letter animal, classic, classic family feud moment. A dumb answer. And it's almost as if, when we look at our text, that Esau is in a similar situation in Fast Money, having a limited amount of time to decide what's most important. Is it his birthright or lentil stew? Do I choose my future or do I choose this very moment? He chooses lentil stew, but survey says, and that is why Esau despised his birthright. Today, that's where our text ends. A story of a birth of a family feud. One that ultimately grows to the point of a brother pulling some shenanigans to strip his other brother, his elder brother of his birthright. We'll see in the coming weeks as we continue in our G uh, Genesis series, learn more about Jacob, where Jacob becomes Israel, the man who births the 12 tribes. Jacob becomes the one where Jesus' lineage is traced back to. Our text is sort of an origin story of sorts for this man, Israel. And it tells us some important things. I think probably the greatest thing it tells us is that our greatest heroes, even in the biblical text, are connected to weird stories like the one we have today. Because when I read this story, I see that Jacob is flawed. Jacob is flawed in dividing and feuding with his brother to the point of taking his birthright away. 
It is a literal point where the divide between the two of them becomes wider and wider. Jacob didn't have to do that. But nonetheless, he does. And he receives the birthright and inheritance. He receives the lineage of Jesus. Jacob's flawed character in this moment does not separate him from the ultimate blessings that do come his way. So you might be wondering, well, Brad, what's the good news of this text? What's the moral of this story? And I want to say today in the sermon that sometimes biblical stories don't give us clear points, easy answers to bring out in sermons. Sometimes they don't give us clear connections to the love or grace of Jesus. These Old Testament texts are tough. In fact, I'd probably say and want to say to you today that this story, instead of telling us what we should be doing in life, probably teaches us a little about what we shouldn't be doing. Sometimes we forget what family is. We see an example of family in our text, one that's not so great, one that is a feuding. And we, the church, are a family. But, like this text, a family that's known for feuding. 2,000 years of history shows us that. All the church splits, all the church fights. Maybe, just maybe, today, this story could tell us, the church family, a little about what not to do. Because we learn in this text that feuding causes more and more divide. Sure, we're flawed, each and every one of us. And thankfully, because of Jesus, we can have and show grace to one another. But let's not sell the future for the moment like Esau did. Let's not snake our way into things that aren't ours like Jacob. But ultimately, when we do fall short in our striving and we do these things like we have done in 2,000 years of history, may we have grace and love for one another that bridge the divide. The world needs a true church family. The world does not need one stuck in the middle of a game a family feud. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now we come to the time in our service where we give our tithes and offerings. Today's actually a special day in the United Methodist Church where we are all going to be giving to Murphy Harpst, which is an organization supported by the North Georgia Conference. There is a spot on our website that you can go to where you can make that donation um, beyond your tithes and offerings. And now we'll get to see a short video where you can learn more about Murphy Harpst. Murphy Harpst has helped me to see what my future could be. I would say my future, I feel like it's going to be like the best of my life. They let me know that I have potential and that once I, once I put my mind to it, I can do anything. That I'm not the only one going through something, that everybody has a story. We are working with underserved and at-risk kids who 
come to us for safety. They come to us to, to realize that their history doesn't have to be a part of their future. This is about taking children that have really um, been neglected, been abused, and turning their lives around. Everyone here really works to try to help the child to be successful. One of the most unique things about Murphy Harps, I believe, are the opportunities that we have to provide those childhood milestones in their lives, the first opportunities for them. And a lot of those firsts are things that we all take for granted. I got my driver's license. I want to graduate college. I want to be an interfaith chaplain. I want to set my goals for adoption. Since I've moved from Murphy Harps, I've graduated high school early. For the future, I plan to go to college and get a degree in communications. What we want people to understand is that, is that Murphy Harps is literally saving these children's lives. Uh, the work they do is, is amazing and transformative, and you have to see it to believe it. It's a great place to work. It's a great place for kids to come, learn, build, and grow. It's like a family here. The horses teach you things. They teach you how to be patient. They teach you how to kind of evaluate and, and think outside yourself of, of how other people feel when you approach them a certain way. Working with the horses is fun, um, especially when I get to help teach lessons to the other kids. There's a memory every single day here. They, the comments that they make about, you know, I have skills now that I think I can use to cope with some difficulties in my life. Our volunteers are invaluable. They do everything from high-end construction on campus to landscaping and even hosting birthday parties for our children. We could not do this life-changing work without you. We're so grateful for all the time and the energy and the resources that our partners, our donors, and our volunteers give to making a difference in the lives of these children.
may you receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face and countenance to shine upon you. And in this week, into the weeks to come, may he give you peace. Amen. been listening to the Meeting Midway podcast from Midway United Methodist Church. The doors to our community are open to all, and we invite guests to join us at our services on Sunday. We have a traditional worship service at 8.30 a.m. in our historic chapel, an acoustic worship service at 9.45 a.m. in our historic chapel, and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. in our modern sanctuary. For more information, check us out online at midwayumc.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.